You're listening to the Finding Christ in the Old Testament series, preaching by Pastor Rick Dressler at Maple City Baptist Church in Chatham, Ontario. For more information about Maple City, please visit us online at maplecitybaptistchurch.com. I'd ask you to find your way to 2 Kings chapter 8. I am totally aware this morning of the time. And before I came this morning, I knew that there was no way in the world I would finish my message. And so I plan on doing part of it this morning and finishing off next week. So that's where we're at this morning. So just rest assured, um, we shouldn't be here over three hours. (laughs) Let's have a little history lesson before we begin this morning just to get our bearings on where we're at in our text as we've worked our way through Second Kings. Um, I'm sure you're aware that when Israel wanted a king, it began under a united kingdom with the kings of Saul, David, and Solomon. But after that, because of Solomon's pride and, and his wickedness, the kingdom was divided between the northern kingdom, which we know of as Israel, the southern kingdom that we know of as Judah, two separate kingdoms now divided. We've been spending a lot of time in the northern kingdom, and I think what we've learned from the northern kingdom is the northern kingdom was terrible, just terrible. Not one good king. Over and over again, they rebel against God, they serve false gods, Baal, and um, the bull that Jeroboam began to worship there. And just terrible. And the worst of all of their kings, the very worst guy, was Ahab. Ahab. Terrible, terrible king. And that's where we've been spending our time. But there's a shift coming now because we're going to look more at the southern kingdom. Because in our timeline, we're to the spot of um, Jehu. And by this time, Jehu will, will judge Ahab's family, his household, in the northern kingdom of Israel. And there's only about 130 years left before they're they're carted off into captivity by the Assyrians. We'll now focus on Judah, the southern kingdom, who had a number of good kings. And we've talked about one already. That was Jehoshaphat. He was a godly king. He was a good king. He brought real reform to the nation of Judah. And we pick up this morning talking about two of his children. And bear with me. We're going to read some scripture about these kings Don't get bogged down by that. You need to know the background and where we're going to make sense, hopefully, by the end. So, Jehoshaphat, good king or bad king? Good. Okay, this is really rough, because I just told you three seconds ago he was a good king. Okay, let's try this one more time. Jehoshaphat, good king or bad king? Oh, you're so smart and so alert this morning. Good king. He has a son named... Uh, Jehoram. We find this in 2 Kings chapter 8, starting at verse number 17. Uh, When Jehoram was 30 and 2 years old, when he began to reign, and he reigned 8 years in Jerusalem, and he walked in the way of the kings of Israel. Not the kings of Judah. Judah, good. Jehoshaphat, good. Israel, bad. This king of Judah now is walking in the ways of Israel, 
as did the house of Ahab, for the daughter of Ahab was his wife, and he did evil in the sight of the Lord. So, just so that you know, here is Jehoshaphat's son, Jehoram, and, and he marries a girl who will find out her name in a moment. It's Athaliah. She is Ahab's daughter. Ahab, good guy, bad guy? Very good. Very bad. And so he marries Ahab's daughter, and if you marry Ahab's daughter, you begin to imbibe Ahab's mindset. And when you swallow Ahab's mindset, it's just a matter of time before you follow Ahab's ways. And now the cancer from Israel has metastasized to Judah. The wicked northern kingdom now is united by marriage to the kingdom of the south. Notice verse 19. I find it quite interesting. In light of this now, that Israel has has influenced Judah, and that Jehoram is walking in the ways of Ahab, verse 19 says, Yet the Lord would not destroy Judah for David his servant's sake, as he promised him to give him always a light and to his children. And this is interesting. And if you've been following the Old Testament, if you know anything about the covenant, it began with Abraham, that God said to Abraham, through your seed, through your children that are born, all the nations of the world will be blessed. And then later he comes back to David and says, listen, David, there will be a line through you, through your family, and through that line of David. I am making a promise that someday... Through your bloodline, there will come a king, not like any other king, but a king who will rule and reign in righteousness. He will be the Messiah, the Savior. This is the promise. And this is what Israel was waiting for, that through the line of David, a king would come that would make all things right. And so God says, I've not destroyed Judah because of the promise that I made. It's all dependent upon a promise even through all the turbulence and upheaval of Jewish and human history, the promise would be that Christ would come and be born on what we call Christmas, would live, die for our sins, rise again on the third day, and eventually return to rule. So, Jehoram has blown it. Evil. God says, okay, it's all right, I've made a promise. Jehoram and Athaliah have a son, and we find him in 2 Kings 8. Just scroll down to verse number 25. His name is Ahaziah. And midway through the verse, he's talking about the the year and the dating here, but he says, Ahaziah, the son of Jehoram, king of Judah, began to reign. Twenty and two years old was Ahaziah when he began to reign, and he reigned one year in Jerusalem, And his mother's name was Athaliah, the daughter or granddaughter of Amri, king of Israel, which means she was Ahab's daughter. Ahaziah reigns for one year. Now, what you need to know about Ahaziah is he is in the line of David, right? From David's line, he is rightful king. But early in his life, we find from 2 Chronicles that a series of unfortunate events happen Right? Not lemony snickers, but really bad things happened. And when they happened, 
his other brothers were carted off because of raids that came down into Judah. So he is the last king standing. In this promise that God made that through the line of David, we are now down to one king. It's hanging on a thread. He only reigns for one year. And unfortunately, he gets caught in this turf war as he goes to visit his uncle in Israel, and he gets shot in the back. And he dies. Chapter 11 of 2 Kings. We find now what happens when his mother, Athaliah, Good lady, bad lady. Bad. When she finds out that her son, the last one in David's line, other than his children, is dead, she does what all good, wonderful grandmothers would do. And when Athaliah, the mother of Ahaziah, saw that her son was dead, she arose and destroyed all of her grandkids. Can I remind you this morning, and and we're really fuzzy on this in our world, there is evil in our world. What happened in New Zealand? Evil. Hatred. Evil. And we are deceiving ourselves when we read the Word of God and we find something that's so horrific, like last week and now this week, that, oh my goodness, that's so archaic. It is not archaic, it's humanity. Here's an evil woman who does evil things. Evil is real. It does exist. And it doesn't just prove that there's a God of heaven. It proves that there is because we understand evil because we already know what is good. And so here is evil. She kills every one of her grandkids. And so, in about 840 B.C., it looks like Christmas would be canceled. As far as she's concerned, the royal line is finished. Verse number two. But Jehoshaphat, the daughter of King Joram, sister of Ahaziah, took Joash. At this time, this is the king's son, one year old. Took Joash, the son of, of Ahaziah, and stole him from among the king's sons which were slain. And they hid him, even him and his nurse, in the bedchamber from Athaliah, so that he was not slain. And he was hid with her in the house of the Lord six years, and Athaliah did reign over the land. And here we have, in the midst of all this horror, when this is going down, that Jehoshaphat, the aunt, just grabs this little boy at one years old, hides him in a bedroom, and then later transfers him to the house of the Lord. And Athaliah believes she has killed all of the descendants of David, but there's one left. And she has no idea. She is reigning in her evil reign, not knowing that the king really is alive. In this world sometimes, in all the evil we see, we might wonder if the king is still alive and on the throne. And the answer is he is. Our God reigns and rules. She had no clue. She believes David's line is over. No Christmas at all. 
David's line with the Messiah is finished. Verse number four. And the seventh year, this is now the baby, the infant, is now seven years old. Jehoiada, the priest, sent and fetched the rulers over hundreds with the captains and the guard and brought them to him unto the house of the Lord and made a covenant with them and took an oath of them in the house of the Lord and showed them the king's son. Could you imagine? Here are, here's the army now, right? And, and they know what's happened. They, they've seen what's happened with Athaliah. They know her wickedness. And Jehoiada the priest says, come here, I want to show you something. She didn't get them all. There's one left. And here is this seven-year-old who is the rightful king of Judah. And so he devises a plan. We jump down to verse number 9. And the captains over the hundred did according to all the things that Jehoiada the priest commanded. And they took every man his men that were to come in on the Sabbath with them that should go out on the Sabbath and came to Jehoiada the priest. And to the captains over hundreds did the priest give King David's spears and shields and were in the temple of the Lord. And the guard stood, every man with his weapon in his hand, round about the king from the right corner of the temple to the left corner of the temple, along by the altar and the temple. And he brought forth the king's son and put the crown upon him and gave him the testimony And they made him king, and he anointed him, and they clapped their hands and said, God save the king. What a joyous, I mean, can you picture it? Where finally the rightful king is going to reign, and the people who have been waiting for this now see this, it comes to fruition. He's given the testimony, the word of God, the crown is on his head, and he is going to reign. There's a sermon in there somewhere. Is there not? Is he worthy? Yes, he is worthy. And someday he will break the seals and he will reign. And we will clap and we will shout and things will be made right when the rightful king reigns. So, I'll preach that another day, but that's good. That's really, really good. That will sustain us. That will encourage us. So, They clap, they shout, they're excited. Um, Verse number 13. And when Athaliah heard the noise of the guard and of the people, she came to the people unto the temple of the Lord. Here, Grandma wasn't invited to the party. She knows a party's going on. This is really strange. She's in the palace, and she hears hundreds of people shouting and clapping, and she doesn't want to miss anything. So she comes to find out what all of the ruckus is about. Verse 14. And when she looked, behold, the king stood by an altar as the manner was, and the princes and the trumpeters by the king, and all the people of the land rejoiced and blew with trumpets, and Athaliah rent her clothes and cried, Treason! Treason! But Jehoiada the priest commanded the captain of the hundreds, the officer of the host, and said unto them, Have her forth without the ranges, and him that follows her, kill him with the sword. For the priest had said, Let her not be slain in the house of the Lord. And they laid hands on her, and she went by the way by which the horses came into the king's house, and there was she slain. And Jehoiada the priest made a covenant between the Lord and the king and the people that they should be the Lord's people. 
between the king also and the people. And this is the word of the Lord. There's so much happening here. And, and I know that today with what we've gone through so far, we've, we've experienced and heard a lot. I'm just going to quickly give you three points from our text this morning. And we'll, we'll expand on the last one next week. Um, number one from our story this morning, here's the first takeaway, that there is safety. Um, there is the safety of the kingdom. The safety of the kingdom. We read the story and think, oh no, there's one guy left, and then he's gone, and all the, all the offspring are gone. It's like, the kingdom is not going to make it. We learned on Sunday night about the kingdom from the book of Mark. Pastor Dan was preaching about how the kingdom will grow. It can't be stopped. And here we find the truth of that in the Old Testament. When it looked so bleak, when it looked like it was impossible, the kingdom of God was still secure. It looked like evil reigned and won the day, but the king was alive and well. And I want you to know something else about this, which I find fascinating. In, in chapters 8 and 11, we have become accustomed with a prophet coming saying, Thus saith the Lord. There's none of that. None of it. Not, not, no one comes and says, Thus saith the Lord. Watch out for Athaliah. She's an evil woman. Thus saith the Lord. Je- Jehoshaphat, grab that kid. Thus saith the Lord, um, Jehoiada, make sure that you, you protect the king. There's none of that. But I want you to know, God was not napping. Our God never sleeps nor slumbers. And what he was doing was moving without drawing attention to himself. He was and is at work. The kingdom is secure, and that kingdom will never be eclipsed or suffer Loss. It will survive and it will grow. Even in times when it looks as if, I don't know. Look at the church. It's bleak. It's troubling. I'm not sure. Is this really going to survive? Is the knowledge of the Lord someday going to fill the earth? Will Christ reign? And the answer is yes, yes, yes. Even in our time when the world has tried to stamp out Christianity, it never works. 1949, the communists of China declared war on the church of Jesus Christ. And I know there are churches that are recognized by the government, but they knew what they were doing. Since 1949, they have tried to stamp out the name of Christ and his people. And today, 2019, and we don't know the exact estimate. It's hard to say. Lots of folks live in the countryside but they are estimating today in China, after 70 years of trying to destroy Christians, 70 years of a, of a concentrated effort to stamp out believers, today they boast of 100 million followers of Christ. I'm not good at math, but that's like three times the size of our nation. 100 million. My friend, Whether you know it, believe it, or not, the kingdom of Christ is secure. It is secure. And listen to me. It is the only kingdom that's secure. I think history tells us that democracy lasts on average 200 years. Dan, is that right? Something like that. Democracies last on average for 200 years. 
which means they pass. Which means all governments pass. Not this government. And so, it would be wise of you today, if you're going to be part of a kingdom, it better be this one. Because this is the one that will last. And you don't become part of this kingdom by being born into citizenship. It doesn't happen. You're not naturalized into it by taking a test about Canadian culture and history, which is terrible. Not the history, but taking the test. Right? It's not, no, you're, you're, and you're not grandfathered in. The only way into this kingdom is to repent and believe in Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. That's it. It's by faith turning to him and him alone, trusting the finished work on Calvary. Not your goodness, not your faith, not your church, not anything but Jesus Christ. And when we call on his name, we trust in this king, the eternal king, the king of kings and the Lord of lords, then we are secure in this kingdom. The safety of God's kingdom is assured. My friend this morning, if you're not sure about it, if you don't know, don't leave here today without knowing how you can be part of God's kingdom, which is eternal. Number two, the second thing we see here is this, the significance of an unsung servant. This happens over and over again. The significance of an unsung servant. Before today, how many of you were familiar with the story of Joshua? Joshua? Anybody at all? Oh, a couple of you were spiritual people. That's great. Awesome. Six of you. Seven. Awesome. So, that's good. Okay, I was going to say something really smart, but I'm not going to do that. Um, the truth is, most of us had never heard of her. And, I, and I'd venture to say that most of us have not done a study on her. Yet really deep, because she's not mentioned again. That's it. She comes out of nowhere and is not mentioned again. And yet, humanly speaking, this one woman, she saves Christmas. She really saves Christmas. God uses this one woman who is never brought up again to take this child and to hide him and Christmas is saved, which means we are saved, which means she changed everything. Everything. My friend, listen to me. Your kingdom service matters. I'm talking to believers now. What you do for Christ matters. Now listen to me. As a member of our church, you ought to be serving here. You ought to find your gift, your talent, your abilities, and you ought to serve this place. Whatever it is, you have something to do here. Every last one of you. Every last one of you. But now listen to me. Most of your kingdom service will be done outside of here. What about the kingdom service in your own home? The church in your home? Your children? Because that kingdom service really matters. I mean, really matters. 
Our kids are bombarded with lies in this culture. They are told so many things that are, they're, we can't, we would have never fathomed what our kids are told today in grade one, let alone through high school. Your kingdom service outside of this place matters. And not only that, not in your home, only in your home, but in your job. Don't just sit here and say, well, I'm just, uh, and you fill in the blank. I don't want to fill in blanks. I don't want to sort of minimize anyone's job, whatever your job is. Well, I'm just a whatever. No, 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 no. Listen, it is not what you do that makes you important or special or that's not it. It's who you know. And in who you know, believer, means that everything you touch and everything you do and the vocation or the work that you have is sacred. Your work. I'm not a pastor. Listen, I'm around, I'm around, you know, a couple guys every week, at least two of one of them is saved, I think. I'm not sure. Right? We don't have trouble like that. But you know, you go out into a world where the fact is they don't think like you think. You're in a cubicle or you're in an office or on the line, and you've got a boss who is difficult, unjust. You work with people who are so hateful and spiteful, and they got, you know, I don't have to tell you these things. But this is where the fruit of the Spirit and Christ changing you and placing you in a place of work can change everything. Everything. Guess what? Most people don't want to come and see me. I know you're surprised by that. But that's the truth. But they rub shoulders with you five days a week. Your kingdom work matters. It matters. And then finally this morning, um, I want you to see the sad beginning of this story. And I, I don't want to rush through this. I'm going to go as far as I can go before I stop. But we'll pick this up next week. Here's a question. How does Judah get to the point that a bloodthirsty grandmother almost completely wipes out the line of David. I mean, how do we get here? Because this didn't happen overnight. A friend of mine, a close friend of mine, was bewailing the fact that his life had turned out terribly, terribly. And he made terrible mistakes, and, and he, was, he had his head in his hands, sitting next to one of his good friends, and said, I just don't know how I got here. And the friend who loved and cared for him said, yeah, we do know how you got here. One bad decision at a time. Right? Judah didn't just wake up and find out, we got a bloodthirsty grandma on our hands. That, that, the story doesn't start in chapter 11. The truth is, the story starts well before that. And you might not believe it, Well, the story starts with Jehoshaphat, the godly king of Israel. Spurgeon said, Christian, beware of thinking lightly of sin. Take heed in case you fall little by little. Don't think lightly of sin because 
you could fall little by little. Uh, let's just look at Jehoshaphat. Jehoshaphat was a godly king. He was long on piety, but short on sense. 1 Kings chapter 22, verse number 4. And he said, this is Ahab, good king, bad king, terrible. Boo, bad. Ahab, awful. Right, good way to, awful. Ahab says to Jehoshaphat, good king, bad king, good, jolly, joyful, Jay. Wilt thou go with me to battle to Ramoth Gilead? And Jehoshaphat said to the king of Israel, I am as you are. My people, your people. My horses, your horses. Let's do this. Can I tell you something? What the godly king of of Judah just said was not true. There's a sense that they were from Israel, the tribe. They were nothing like one another. Ahab was diametrically opposed to the God of heaven, uh, opposed his prophets, killed them, killed his own. It was terrible. Jehoshaphat's trying to do right. He says, I'm just like you are. He wasn't. And this was the first step. The first step. Then 2 Chronicles chapter 20, verse 35. This is Ahaziah. He's a different Ahaziah. This is a bad one from the, from the northern kingdom of Israel. I know it's confusing, but they had names that were the same, like we have more than one Rick and one Shirley. That's how that works. This was a bad one, right? Verse 35. And after this, did Jehoshaphat, good king of Judah, join himself with Ahaziah, the king of Israel, who did very wickedly. They get in a business venture here. And we won't read the whole thing, but down to verse number 37, they had this plan about this making some ships and going off from there. And here a prophet comes and says to Jehoshaphat, Because thou hast joined thyself with Ahaziah, the Lord has broken thy works. And the ships were broken, that they were unable to go to Tarshish. Right? Athaliah got into her position and could possibly destroy the entire line of David because a good, godly king made a really bad decision. And even thinking, no, okay, so how in the world does Jehoram marry Athaliah? Where do they meet at? Well, they meet because his father had an alliance with Ahab. And what seemed to be nothing of significance, a reasonable marriage without any trouble at all, Almost destroys the line of David. Quickly this morning, God's people can do and make terrible decisions. God's people, godly people, sincere people. Too often we are oblivious to the dangers we face. Um, I'm just, I'll just give you this and then I'll, I'll make a statement, I'll stop. We're oblivious to the dangers we face. I was listening to Christian radio the other day, and there's some really good things on Christian radio, there's some really dumb things on Christian radio. Some of the music, to be honest, is trite and meaningless. And I'm not bashing, well, I am. But there's a song that says, let the devil know not today. Okay, if you've heard it, it's really catchy. Yeah, kind of upbeat. You want to dance in the car as you're driving, right? And a woman on the radio said, I love that song because when something happens, like my coffee spills, I just say, not today, devil. 
Can I tell you something? I don't think the devil really cares about your Starbucks. I, I don't. I think he's bent on destroying your soul. And we're oblivious. You know what Peter says? First Peter 5, is it 8 or so? He tells us to be sober, to be serious-minded, to be vigilant, to be watchful, because your adversary, the devil, as a roaring lion, walketh about seeking, to who, seeking whom he may devour. Not your Starbucks, it's your soul. And how does he do that? Through what we see, what we hear, how we think, and decisions that we make. And so, listen, I, I'm going to stop with it. There, there's a ton more, and we'll give it next week. But here's the point. What you and I think matters. And decisions that you make, that you think, ah, oh, it's no big deal. I'll date that person. I'll go to that party. We'll skip a little bit from church and the service. It doesn't matter. It's okay. Jehoshaphat thought that just a simple alliance with Ahab would be okay. I have to tell you, the blood dripping off Athaliah's hands, Jehoshaphat has a part of that. Because there's no way she ever comes on the scene if he had never made an alliance with Ahab. And you're saying, I don't, that's, I'm not a king, I'm not, yeah, I got it. But I'm telling you something. We make decisions that do impact our lives, and maybe not today, but the future. And God's people, who've been given God's spirit and God's words, don't have to continue in this nonsense. And so next week we'll talk about how our minds need to be renewed and and the safeguards that God gives the body of Christ so we don't have a grandmother like Athaliah. All right? Let's pray.